0: Mark, I think there are a lot of people internationally in the audience who may not know what the Facebook is, and why don't you just start, tell us a little bit about how this all started and what's it been like, what's the Facebook?
1: Sure. Okay, these mics work. All right, so um, I did two years at Harvard. During my sophomore year, I decided that Harvard needed a Facebook. It didn't have one, so I made it. That's basically how it got started. Um, I think that after about a couple of weeks of it being out, I was hoping that you know maybe like a couple of people would sign up or something. But a lot of people signed up, and then we started getting requests from people at other schools to launch Facebooks at their schools. So I just kind of thought about what the best way to do that would be, and came up with the model that we have now. And I've spent most of the last two years just spreading that across the country and to a bunch of schools internationally. So that's kind of where we are now with all those users and a lot of college students across the nation.
0: And what is it? For a lot of people in the audience who are from Europe, Asia, tell us a little bit about what the Facebook actually is and why is it growing the way it is. It's essentially an online directory
1: for students where people can go and look up other people and find relevant information about them, everything from um, what they're interested in to their contact information, what courses they're taking. Who they know, who their friends are, um, what people say about them, what photos they have now. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess it's mostly a utility for people to figure out just what's going on in in their lives and in their friends' lives
0: for people who they care about. So, a show of hands in the audience: How many people know of the Facebook or knew of the Facebook prior to this discussion? How many are users of the Facebook? You can admit that. How many use the Facebook at least once a day? <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, the one of the most staggering statistics, and, and Mark, it would be interesting to just get a sense of why this is, is the daily repeat usage. And it does make one wonder what is happening on college campuses today. (laughs) But the statistics are simply staggering that uh, of the 5 million users, and it's continuously increasing. We just had our 5 million user party. uh, There were 5.5 billion page views in the month of September for Facebook. This is an 18-month-old company. Mm -hmm. And, Mark, you might talk about the usage statistics because it's – really about everything we look for when we're starting companies or trying to get involved with entrepreneurs who start companies, not in terms of the initial reach, but that daily usage and that continuous usage and that we've used phrases in the venture business. You've heard Professor Tom Byers talk about viral effects and network effects. But this is something that embodies that. And Mark, you might talk about the statistics and what matters to you yeah. Most relative to these so-called financial statistics.
1: Mm-hmm. So I mean, the three things that I measure the most are, as Jim is saying, how often people come back to the site. Both uh, I guess three things are daily, weekly, and monthly. And I guess we've always just kind of focused on keeping those numbers high. The daily number is around 70 percent for all students, and and weekly is about 85, and monthly is around 93 or so. So. I think that that's really important for us because we're not trying to create something that people use for like, a specific purpose. This is a utility that people can use to just find relevant information socially to them. And I tried to make something that people could kind of look up of extensively just random things about random people and try to get everyone to be on there and a lot of relevant information to be on there. So the fact that people can come back every day For different purposes, and kind of keep a browser open on their computer, maybe, and just go and type in someone's name and find information about them is the type of use that we aimed to tune this application towards and kind of
0: optimized for. So, I polled a number of people prior to the meeting on what would be most interesting uh, to discuss. And this is like a board meeting, by the way. People ask, What are Facebook board meetings like? How might they compare to what a Walmart board meeting might be? They're a little bit different, I can promise you. And one of the most interesting parts, obviously, of of entrepreneurship But I think of the Facebook is what does product development really mean? And Mark, you you might talk about, there were a number of questions I had yesterday and then earlier today. What is product development at the Facebook? How has that evolved as you evolve the company? How do you think about product development and the product experience going forward? So, I mean, there are
1: two parts of this. One is kind of optimizing and making better what we already have, and one is adding new things like um, the recent photo application, which we just added. So, I I guess I'll talk about that and kind of like what my thoughts were going into that. Um, We just launched an application, for those of you who don't know, that allows students or members of Facebook to upload an unlimited number of photos to the site and then browse them by identifying who are in the pictures. So you can go to a friend or anyone's profile and see not only pictures that they've taken, but other pictures that people have taken of them. And I guess the thought process behind this was, how do we fill out the network in order to make something that is most universally useful? So I guess, in doing so, we realized that maybe 10% of people would upload photos. And I mean, I guess we've had this out for about a week now, and at the schools that we've rolled it out, currently testing it, so we're only at like 30% of the skills so far. I think about 10 or 15% of the people who have this feature have uploaded photos, but more than 40% of the people on the network have photos taken of them. So when we're designing stuff, we look not necessarily just about what any given user is going to experience, but what's kind of better for the whole community and the whole product. And I mean, it's kind of like a lot of these trade-offs are going on all over the place in the product. Um, Probably the most that you see every day is um, that you can't see the profiles of people at other schools. you know, And that's a really major trade-off in the application. For those of you who aren't familiar with this, we split up the user base by what school they go to, and um, and we make it so that people at a given school can only see the profiles and contact information of people at their school. And the reason for this was mostly to because we realized that um, the people around you at your school are the people who you're going to want to look up, mostly, anyway. And if we made the space too broad and let anyone see your information, then that would probably be fine, and you'd look up some people. But you also probably wouldn't, up, wouldn't put up your cell phone. You know? And more than a third of people on Facebook have their cell phone up there, and that's something that's useful for the application. So in designing it, this was a trade-off that we made. Um, I kind of thought about this for a while. I was like, well, what would be more useful? Would it be better for people to be able to see everyone um, and maybe not feel like this was a secure environment in which they could share their interests and what they thought and what they cared about, or it would be better that more information and more expression was available, but to a smaller audience, which is probably the relevant audience for any person. So I mean, there's a lot of decisions like that that, that are getting made, and I mean a lot of them are gut level. so I mean we try to be as academic about it as possible and try to think rigorously through the different Results that we'll get if we go in different directions, but I mean a lot of it is just like You define your objectives what you're going for in this case to optimize for the best of the whole community and the whole user base and over the long term and that's important to long term for short term and
0: Then just kind of operate and do what you think will be best along that line So when I first met Mark uh, and we started talking it was one of the first times certainly in my venture capital career, when we went out to dinner, I was not allowed to buy you a glass of wine or a glass of beer. Um, the Sprite was pretty good. I, think <laughs> I like Sprite. So. Exactly, it was actually at the Village Pub where uh, Tom Byers and, and others have spent considerable time and they can tell you about that at a break. Um <laughs> But Mark, uh, Mark's team uh, is, younger than most entrepreneurial teams. And it would – Mark has turned 21, by the way, as of a couple months ago. Uh, So now we can have wine and beer at dinner when we're brainstorming. But you might talk about how it is to work – you had a founding team, many of which were college friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, The team has evolved. You've quadrupled in size or some astronomical number uh, in the last several months. And talk a little bit about what it's been like for you as a leader and a CEO and founder, and very much the long-term CEO, I will add, uh, what is it like to build a team? How has it changed? How is your role changing? Maybe some of the most interesting dynamics along the way from that perspective. Yeah.
1: So I mean, when I started off, I was programming the site, and, and I wrote the first version, and I mean, we, haven't, we don't really have a second version, we're just constantly iterating on it. So, um, I guess for most of last school year, I just worked on scaling and kind of trying to make it, keep up with the increasing load and try to make it so that we can expand to more, um, more schools and work out the net network infrastructure and all that stuff. But I mean, as that time was going along, we would also kind of opportunistically hire people who we thought were really smart. And I mean, for most of last year, we were just a few guys working around my kitchen table That was pretty fun. Um, But I guess around in February, we got an office, and then we kind of took all these people who we'd been hiring and we brought them into one space, which was interesting. Because then for the first time I kind of looked up and was like, wow, you know, I have a team of engineers here and like a lot of smart people who can start building a lot of stuff in a different way than it's currently being done. You know, and right now it's me, or it was me and my roommate Dustin just of sitting there working serially on one project and then finishing it and then planning that and then doing the next project and with like little help from the other people who are around but trying to figure out how to manage the transition from doing that, especially if you're kind of one of the people who's programming just saying, okay, we have eight really talented people here. What's now the most efficient use of people's time? Like how can people maybe be working on stuff not serially, but I mean, let's say someone's working on um, launching the high school product over here, and someone else is working on photos, and someone else is working on um, the thing that we're gonna launch next week. You know, um, what's like w- what's the most efficient use of, of people? And I mean, so that's kind of an interesting problem, and I mean something that I don't really have any good insight on <laughs> for you guys, and, well, Maybe I'll maybe check back in a year or so. <laughs> but um, but I think that one thing that Jim was getting at was sort of the dynamics between people. And I mean, the dynamic of managing people and being CEO in a company is a lot different than being college roommates with someone. And, and when you go into something and um, your expectations are that you know this is going to be a site that maybe a few thousand people are on, and then the guy drops out of school to come out to California to work with you, and it just kind of changes things up. And um, I, don't know, I think that it definitely it, it, you kind of have to think at like a higher level about how the landscape is playing out and in terms of like you, you need to not only have engineers who can directly work on the product that you're working on, but then you need to start having a, a finance department or something that I never thought that I would ever need you know in terms of running a website in order to power the infrastructure of just having a 20 or 30 person engineering team and um, and then it's like, okay, so you have all these people. Then, uh, like, how how do you kind of watch what they're doing and, and not try to control too too much what they're doing? Because they're they're all really smart people, which is why we brought them. And we want to leverage the fact that they have a lot of really good ideas and can do a lot of the stuff themselves. But how do you make sure that it's conforming to standards, you know, or that it's being done well enough, um, both from product perspective and engineering perspective? So um, I think that.
2: There's just a lot more thought. <laughs>
0: now, you've recruited a lot of Stanford students, and you've recruited elsewhere, and you're still – he asked me to emphasize you're still actively recruiting Stanford students, for those of you in the audience. But what do you look for in terms of culture, the kinds of students who make it through the process, the kinds of graduates that make it through the process, the balance of experience and IQ?
2: Uh,
0: how do you think about building the team and evolving the team going forward? So I mean, I think that the two
1: most important things that I look for are number one is just raw intelligence, right? Because I mean, you can hire someone who's a software engineer and has been doing it for 10 years, and if they're doing it for 10 years, then that's probably what they're doing for their life, you know? And I mean, that's cool. But there's some things that that person can do, and they're definitely useful within an organization and can do a lot of stuff. But if you find someone who's whose raw intelligence exceeds theirs, but has 10 years less of experience, then they can probably adapt and learn way quicker. You know, and within a very short amount of time, be able to do a lot of things that that person may never be able to do. And so I think that that's the most important thing that I look for. Um, and the second is just alignment with what we're trying to do. So I mean, people can be really smart or have skills that are directly applicable, but if they don't really believe in it, then they're not going to really work hard and they're not going to, even if they're if they're, they're the smart guy who doesn't have the relevant experience, they're not going to care enough to develop the relevant experience in order to succeed. So I mean, I think that the best people who, who I've hired so far have been people who didn't really have that much engineering experience. Um, I mean, I hired a couple of electrical engineers out of Stanford to do programming stuff and and they had very little programming experience going in but just really smart, really willing to go at it and I mean the guy who just wrote photos was, was one of those guys and um, I mean if you're willing to just go and do whatever it takes to get photos out then you know you're probably more valuable than someone who's just a you know career software
0: engineer so those are the things that I'm looking for and why I or rather recruit people out of college. <laughs> now, I, I have to ask, it's a phrase I don't like, but it's a phrase that's applied to the Facebook all the time, that's social networking, a walled friendster, whatever it might be. And I'm curious to hear how you think about social networking. Is it relevant as you think about the Facebook? And how do you define what Facebook really is?
1: Yeah, so I, mean, I don't really call it a social network. No, you know, I, I know that.
0: <laughs> Nor do I, but
1: a lot of people do. So I, mean, I, I refer to it as an online directory, right? and I think that they're kind of different things. I mean, a social network is a community application, and this definitely is a social application. The use of this is definitely aided by the use of friends and people around you using it. But I really just think that it's a utility, you know, and something that people use in their daily lives to look people up and find information about people. And in that way, it's not, I mean, maybe there's some form of networking going on or whatever people would traditionally describe a social network as. But I think to me, if you're drawing the distinction between what we are and what a social network is, I think that social networking is, there, it seems to me, not really like a vertical application, but more of a horizontal in terms of that it's more of a tool set that that you use. I mean, social networks help you wire up an application really quickly. I mean, Friendster, MySpace, Facebook, all very different things. But I mean, you can apply the word social network to them because they have this model of having friends where you send invitations. And I think that they all kind of use it to achieve the same result, which is getting people to come to the site, getting people to keep using it for a certain function, uh, which is that social function, but then They kind of parlay that into different uses. So, I mean, we have this directory utility. Friendster was a dating site. I I mean, Facebook does not in any way aim to be a dating site, even though maybe some of that goes on. Um, Just just a bit. Just a little bit. And who knows what MySpace is. But, um, (laughs) um, so. So yeah, so I think that kind of saying that something is a social networker in the social networking space is saying that a company that has factories
0: is in the assembly line space. That's very fair. So why is it that the first generation of so-called social networks, Friendster and others, uh, plateaued quite quickly and perhaps have declined uh, the game's not over, but there was a generation of social networks that, as companies, that were very hot in Silicon Valley two years ago, and have not achieved the momentum that a MySpace or a Facebook has. And what would be some of the reasons, in your view?
1: Well, I think that the thing that we focus on most is utility, and I've said that like a few times so far. But I mean, I think that making the site useful and keeping the utility there is the thing that I focus on most. And I mean. Even in, in something like the photo application, we, that's, that's an entertaining feature, but it's also really useful because you can see people in different contexts. You can see photos of people that other people are putting up for them. You can tell the context around them, and I guess like, next week you'll be able to tell the context more. But um, you know, like, um, I think that the utility is pretty important. I think that a lot of the reason why some of them have failed is because the horizontal social network piece works really well at growing stuff. And that provides a technical challenge to people who are creating these things as their networks and user bases scale up really quickly um, to kind of keep up with that. Um, and especially if you're using sort of friend graph type structure to compute anything, I mean, a lot of those algorithms don't scale nicely. And I mean, if you're not doing stuff well, then you can't really support millions of users so, I mean, we've gone through periods where we didn't have enough hardware and we weren't doing stuff as well as we could and that, and then the site got a little slow and I think that now we're maybe more in a stable position. MySpace has also had issues with their technical infrastructure. I think that was a big problem for Friendster and why they, who were the first people in the space, kind of
0: plateaued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I left one more question and then I want to be sure to... Take questions for Mark from the audience. Uh, There is a large international group here and watching. And how do you think about the relevance of Facebook internationally uh, as you think forward? I know there's an international piece of it today, but maybe project a couple years forward in the international aspect of Facebook and how will it fit culturally, whether it's Europe, Asia, or other parts of the world? So, I mean, one of the things that I've been sort of hesitant about in terms of
1: expanding outside of the U.S., we have a bunch of colleges like Oxford and Cambridge and a bunch of schools over there. I mean, there are large populations of colleges in countries like China, but I'm not quite sure whether the culture around universities there is similar enough such that the same application works. Localization is definitely necessary, and I mean, they speak up, different language, so we need to have the application in that language in order to have it be relevant. But for me, there's kind of a question of whether there's more there. I mean, this is not Microsoft Word, you know, where it's, I mean, I keep on going back to the fact that I, I think that it's a utility, and I think that it is a social utility, so I mean, it's a different kind of utility than Word, and I think that it might be pretty relevant, but it requires some thought about what those specific cultures are and maybe the density of students in those cultures or the amount of, percent of the population that goes to university. I mean, these are all kind of factors that would play into whether or, some, whether or not something like this would be relevant in those places. And I think that as time goes on, we'll definitely invest, uh, I guess, like the time and resources into doing that. I think that right now, stuff like Launching a high school product it was, was a more efficient use of our time. It was very something that we could do really quickly. You know, the high school model was very similar to the college model that we had. And I mean, there's more high school students than college students. And it just seemed like a very effective use of our time. And then as time goes on, and we're looking to expand further, that's something that we're going to look to do. Although it's definitely outside of our core competence. So we'll see. Hopefully we
0: can do it well. Good. If there are questions, and I see some hands coming up, uh, why don't we start questions right over here in the blue shirt. You to the Please use the mic and I'll repeat the question. And if the mic's not working, I'll do my okay. best to repeat the question. Uh,
2: not being a user of Facebook, I'm curious, and is it related questions. What happens when you finish college and you're no longer a student? Yeah. Uh, do you get dropped from the system? Is there some kind of alumni legacy thing that goes on or what have you, especially since you're focusing on a school wall, if you will. I'm not sure that alumni makes a whole lot of sense, but I'm sure Mr. Bryars doesn't like to see a lot of customers leaving your application as well. And then secondly, uh, what kind of a migration path? Uh, you alluded to a little bit you have from high schoolers going to colleges or students, because of course there's many more high school students than there are college students. And you know, do you, are you able to save all that information and roll it forward easily, or is it just a nightmare and you keep it separate? So, mm-hmm. if you can share some information on that, being unfamiliar totally with your application, I'd like to know.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I think that I'm going to approach this from more of a meta level, and I mean the most important thing that we should be doing as a business. Is prioritizing and figuring out what the right things are for us to be approaching now, and worrying what people are going to be doing eight months from now or six months from now or whatever that is that people are going to be graduating and moving off the network when that's something that we can solve in you know a couple of weeks by throwing something together. I, I don't have the solution yet, and we'll definitely figure it out by then. But I mean, I just kind of wanted to throw out that like prioritizing and working on the stuff that's really important now is always like the best use of our time. But that said. Um, <laughs> We currently, I mean, last year we had a full year of college students who graduated. It was almost 800,000 people who left college. And I mean, we've always been open to alums registering for the site. And I think that recent alums, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're a senior and you graduate, you still have plenty of friends in college. People like me,
0: recent alums.
1: Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Briar loves, you know, browsing around. Yeah.
2: so um <laughs> yep, just, don't, don't, just don't show. <laughs> All right. Yeah.
1: Um, and I, so, at the end of last year, what what I did to approach that problem or attack that problem was I created a geography-based version so that people could not only be at a school, Stanford, and see the profiles of the other people at Stanford, but also say I'm in San Francisco, or I'm in New York, and then see the people around them. That was fine for 800,000 people. This year we're gonna start having a, more, uh, a larger population because we're gonna graduate a second year, which is gonna be even larger because we're growing this year. And I mean, we're definitely gonna make something. And I mean, I'm working on it now, but I'm not really sure what it's gonna end up looking like.
2: And how about
1: the high school to college part? I assume the will but I haven't
2: thought about that at all.
0: You might talk about how you launched high school, though, because there was a very defined set of interactions and thoughts around how you wanted to launch the high school. Yeah, so I mean, only about 5% of high schools have authenticated emails,
1: so .edu's or .org's. So, I mean, that was one of the best things about the college site is I mean, you could bucket people pretty easily you know, and authenticate that and make sure that no one was on the Stanford Facebook who didn't belong there. That doesn't really exist for a lot of high schools, although it did exist for some. Um, so we decided to do an invite only. But the problem with that is that you need to seat it, because if you don't have anyone in these high schools, then you can't have people invite people to them. So I, mean, I guess what we did was we took the, um, I guess like structured data that we had in the college site about where people went to high school. and took all the incoming freshmen, who now like just sign up five months before they get to college for some reason, and um, like, and we're like, all right, go to model all your high school friends, and that we see it that way. And I mean, Sunday was the first day that the high school network's growth was larger than the college network's growth. So, it's
0: part of it. Do you want to talk about how many users per day or per week you're adding, or give a order of magnitude just to get people yeah. to think about how quick the growth actually is? Yeah, I mean, it's over twenty thousand a day. Quite astounding, twenty thousand a day and accelerating. Right here in red. How does the
2: Facebook make
0: money? Uh, that's a good
1: question. So I mean, when you're running a site and you're four people around a kitchen table, your operating expenses are relatively low. So, um, So traditionally what we've done was we have a very small sales force and we sell some ads, you might see them on the site, and we've just kept our operating expenses low so far. And by doing that, we've been able to stay cash flow positive for basically the entire existence of the company. After we took some money from these guys, um, we decided that it was OK to go a few months in cash flow negative while um, but while very we barely cash flow yeah, negative. Well, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> using like $100,000 a month not a million, happening, so, um, and then, I mean, but now we're, back, ah, right, you know, and we do a lot of page views, I think that it's not, it's not something that you really think about, um, because, you you probably just think about this as like a Stanford site, but I mean, every day we do more than 200 million page views, I think recently we're up to 230 million, um, by the end of, I mean, probably two weeks from now or so, we're going to pass Google in page views. And like, um, and that's a lot, right? I mean, like you don't really think about it, and that kind of application, like I didn't. You know, I was pretty surprised when I heard that. But um, I and mean, when you have that many page views and that many people spending that much time on the site, you can monetize it pretty easily, you know, just by putting banners on there. And like, I mean, the revenue that we're generating over a million dollars a month in revenue, and um, like, well more, and that weight covers our expenses and and we're not even doing anything cool yet, so um, I mean yeah. (laughs) It's all right. It
0: is right here in the front.
2: This question is from Mark. Uh, Mark, what were the most relevant skills that you acquired in college or class that prepared you for the entrepreneurial process for the business world?
0: Um, the question was the most Important entrepreneurial skills acquired in college or elsewhere, or the Facebook. Good question. Yeah. So I, mean, I actually studied psychology
1: at Harvard, not computer science. Although a little bit of computer science. Um, I've been programming since I was like ten, and I think that it, it kind of like went just kind of reached a point where it went into my intuition. And I wasn't really thinking that much about it consciously. Um, so that was pretty good. And then, I mean, when I started thinking about all the people issues and doing psychology and just like being in a university and interacting with a lot of people it just kind of occurred to me that this would be something that was interesting and like I I knew how to do it, so I just did. I mean, it took me like a couple of weeks or even less to throw together the site and I I remember that by the time I was done throwing together the site, I I had no idea how successful it would end up being. And I was actually thinking that after like day eight or day nine, I had a different idea that I wanted to do, and I was going to scrap it and not do that. Um, so I'm happy that I didn't do that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think that it's more like how you spend your time doing stuff type of question or type of answer than like something that I learned specific from, specifically from college. Um, I always, like I made a ton of random things when I was at Harvard, and most of them no one ever saw. Like a lot of them just weren't meant for other people to see, and there were just things that I made for myself because I thought that they would be cool. I used to make stuff like a natural language interface to play my MP3s, you know. Or um, the thing I made before this was a. Hot or not program out of everyone's ideas at Harvard that almost got me kicked out. But, um, <laughs> like, so I don't know, I mean, I just like to, I spent a lot of time making random stuff, you know, and I think that that definitely made it. So, that by the time it came, like, by the time it came time to, like, make this random project, I was pretty well tuned towards making that, you know. In terms of managing this whole process, nothing, you know, nothing. <laughs> like, I, I have
2: no idea. What I'll add a couple comments
0: Uh, (laughs) um, Mark has a skill which a number of skills which one rarely sees in an entrepreneur no matter what the age is he's a great listener and you learn by listening I'm still stunned to see how many entrepreneurs come through our offices in Palo Alto, and it's all output, and there's no thoughtfulness. And It is an amazing... uh, It's amazing that the very best entrepreneurs are very proactive, they're very courageous, they deal with tension, but they're great listeners, and then they translate that into interactive learning. And the organizations tend to be great listening organizations. And Mark uh, Mark is extraordinary that way, as are many of the best entrepreneurs or executives that we've met. There is also a constant creative tension around experimentation and making sure everyone in the organization feels it's better to experiment, fail, and then move on and experiment again than to not do that. And in something like a consumer internet company like Facebook, that constant real-time interaction and experimentation is something that the very best entrepreneurs do. They just, they have the passion, they have an innate feel for it, and it happens organizationally, and it happens from a leadership standpoint. That's something that uh, can, to some extent, be taught. It can be honed, but those are some of the skills for a consumer internet company, and and one that is growing this quickly, That is just essential, and it needs to be embodied uh, in the entrepreneur. That's something that uh, we see again and again, and it's remarkable how little common sense is often applied. If somebody just steps back and and truly listens and watches the customers and then rapidly iterates, uh, good things tend to happen. We'll go right here in the middle.
2: Mark, uh, from the very beginning, day one or maybe week one, was this a business idea with the target market and revenue from capital projections and revenue model, or is this just more kind of a cool programming thing that you might do
1: for your friends? That's
2: funny.
1: <laughs> no. No. Um, it actually wasn't a business thing until like six months after we started it. I mean, we. I guess like, so, so I programmed the original version um, and launched it in February 2004 and then we spent, uh, I guess like, after a couple of weeks of it being at Harvard, people started requesting it at other schools and I, I was taking a pretty heavy course load that term, so I wasn't sure how I was going to do that, you know, both technically and like how I was going to have the time to do it, so, um, so one of my roommates was like, I'll help you, and I'm like, dude, you can't program. Um, so <laughs> So he, he went home for the weekend, um, bought the book Pearl for Dummies, and then came back and was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm like, dude, this site's not written for Pearl. So, okay. <laughs> like, but, um, so we were working on it together for a while, and then we came out to Palo Alto for that summer where I kind of got stuck. but um, we came out here mostly because this was a place that a lot of startups had been from, and it seemed like a pretty fun place to be, and some place that it made sense for us to be at some point in our lives. And also because I had a couple of friends who were working at EA, and I wanted to hang out with them. And, um, and it was out here that I kind of learned a lot of the stuff, and, um, and met a couple of people who got us started. Yeah. Good.
2: Right here. My name is Mike. And uh, I'm really loud from um, my phone. But Mark, I have a question about uh, the utility aspect. You've, you've mentioned that Facebook is a utility, not a social networking software or anything like that. But when you talk about the utility, I'm curious about what you're actually what you're actually having the people do, because they're browsing around, and, and it seems as if it's it's essentially a stalking tool. <laughs> uh, and so what are the sort of ethical implications when it comes to developing a tool where you know you're leaving it up to the user views? You're not saying you know it's like the gun manufacturers make the gun, they you don't know, tell you to, to point it at people. But um, ultimately <laughs> when when you have a tool like this and, and it's venture funded and it's back, there are sort of ethical implications and possibly you know uh, legal implications in the future. How can you both respond to how how um, you're taking an approach to that?
1: So I mean, we do a lot of stuff with the data that's collected, and a lot of that is aimed towards proactively defending the user base, and I mean making sure that I mean we have analyzed a pattern which is like the typical user heartbeat, right, or like what their use looks like, and we can identify relatively quickly when someone doesn't match that and do whatever we need to do. Um, Probably within like you know, like. 20 page views or so. So, um, so, yeah, so I mean, that's mostly what we do. I mean, we, we have like an automated system for identifying stuff like this and then taking whatever action we need to. But, I mean, in terms of, of like the ethical implications of creating this, I mean, what, what I kind of saw this as is um, enabling a, a freer flow of information. You know, I mean, people are interested in this stuff. We're not asking anyone to put anything out there that they wouldn't be comfortable putting out there, We're not forcing anyone to publicize any information about themselves, would give people pretty good control over their privacy. I mean, you can make it so that no one can see anything, or like no one can see your profile unless they're your friend. And I think that we encourage people to use that stuff. And I mean, we, we point people to it. We make people not use their school password when they register, in order to, like, just because that's like the most secure way to do things. And I, don't know. I think that just by putting people in control of what they put out there, we're, we are kind of putting it in their hands, but we're not necessarily putting it in the hands of the person who will misuse it. We're putting it in the hands of the person who could be potentially the victim if it ever came
2: to that. But I mean we're not really finding that much. Jim, could you respond to this as well? And also when, when it comes to minors now in the case of high school students, how does this control uh, filter down, down for those sort of users?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll take on the privacy question and the ethics question and let Mark talk about high school. Uh, In many ways, I think our challenges from a business perspective and a usage standpoint would be similar to how eBay evolved. Uh, We certainly spend a lot of time thinking about uh, what are the privacy issues. Uh, At the same time, we want to enable the user base to... When all is said and done, it's a validated user base. It's very different from 99% of the sites out there. And we feel that that's the true power of the experience. So we don't want to get in the way of that. There's no doubt, however, we think medium and long term about privacy issues, security issues, and perhaps the closest model out there, in my view, would be how eBay had to make some fundamental decisions along the way relative to the democratization, if you will, of their user base. You might talk about high school, because we've had long discussions about that. Mm you thought hard
1: about that. Yeah, so in high school, we do kind of the same thing that we do in college, although we have scripts that just constantly crawl through the site. And and you, you know from using it that some people have fake profiles, right? And as a human, you can tell that there are some things about that that are different and why they're fake and it's just immediately obvious to you and it's obvious because it doesn't fit a normal usage pattern you know either they don't put up a lot of information about themselves but they're viewing a lot of profiles or they have no friends but are viewing a lot of profiles or the classes that they're putting in are fake you know or the information they're putting in is fake or their name is keggy the keg and you know there's just a lot of signs and like you can just apply Really simple pattern matching stuff to a lot of this to figure out who these things, like who these people are really quickly.
0: Yeah, and coming back to, to college, just one statistic uh, which is quite extraordinary. Mark, you might just mention to the audience how the predictive nature of some of the usage <laughs> may work, uh, in particular regarding relationships. And it's a fascinating statistic, one of many.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, so one of the things that we do is we actually compute how, like, a percentage. Of realness that a person is, and if they fall below a threshold, then they're gone. Right. So I mean, like, so it's actually pretty funny. This is something that my friends and I like to do. We just go through and like see how real certain people are. We know we're actually real people. We're right? like, Yeah, you're only seventy five percent real. Um, <laughs> um, but by using the information that we have, we can predict a lot of stuff. Both stu- find stuff that's interesting to you in terms of events that are going on with the network. Um, one of the things that we originally thought would be cool was you know we have this photo thing and we have some new stuff that's going to be coming out soon like with all these users posting content, how do you filter it for people you know and how do you know for them or help them filter through what's going to be most interesting to them? And, I mean you can't just say like who your friends are and look at their photos you know because some people have 300 friends you know some people have a hundred friends, but if you have a hundred friends and they're all posting a lot of photo albums or Updating their profiles a lot, or whatever people do, you know, then like, then that's just a lot of stuff to sort through. So I mean, you, you kind of want to figure out the the strength of a lot of those relationships and how um, and what actually matters to each person on a more granular level. And I mean, one of the things that uh, one of my friends and I were messing around with the other night was seeing if we could use the information that we had to compute who we thought were going to be in relationships. So we tested this about a week later, and we realized that we had over a third chance of predicting whether two people were going to be in a relationship a week from now. <laughs> <laughs> so we can use stuff like that to filter out
0: bad weeds. Good. Let's go to the back here. Uh, yeah, I think you said that um, you started this because you got through Harvard,
2: and you received a need uh, for this. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it is me. But specific
1: instances that made you kind of see me personal thing or friends or Um, I don't know. How many you guys have AIM? Like, do you guys like checking away messages? <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I just find information about people in aggregate interesting. You know what I mean? One of the things that I wrote before this was something that just like looked and kind of tracked what different people's away messages were at different times. Because like that's that's kind of interesting, you know. I mean um, like not to publicize that information, but I mean, you know, like but, but just a sort of base of information. And I kind of figured that like everyone else around me likes checking away messages and would think that something like that would be cool. Like Maybe I'm not alone in thinking that it would be cool if I could type into a box someone's name and get a bunch of information about that person or be able to look up where they are now or where they live or what their phone number is or who they know or what people are saying about them. So,
0: yeah. One of the most interesting questions we continuously asked ourselves at Excel over the last year and, and nine months. Why didn't we see a Facebook earlier? It's it's a remarkable, I think it's a remarkable dynamic that Mark started this company in 2004, and that first generation, the first nine or 10 years of the internet did not have a Facebook-like company that was thinking through it in a simple way. Sometimes it's remarkable for all of us as we try to be very prepared, mind-oriented, very proactive around where are the most interesting opportunities. It's often these very simple but powerful ideas that really take off. And there are some other ideas like that where we step back and really try to understand as investors and uh, hopefully partners with entrepreneurs, how do, where do we see the most compelling next generation ideas? And it's usually something that's very simple, that's embodied in the, the personality of an entrepreneur right here in the blue. And please use the mic, thank you. Yeah,
2: Um, so there's a lot of social networks out there and a lot of them are built as silos. Um, And and I think that is uh, the number one reason why they have plateaued over the last few years also. Um, The Facebook is not a social network, it's a utility. And so have you actually thought about, um, instead of building all the applications on your platform in-house, have you ever thought about opening up uh, the Facebook over particular web services or something and have hundreds of people go build hundreds of utilitar- uh, utility, utility applications on the Facebook and just have a little sign on the bottom that says, powered by the Facebook or something.
1: Mm, yes, and if any of you guys have studied operating systems, languages, or compilers, come help me do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: it's a resounding yes. Okay. Uh, right behind
2: this question.
0: This is kind of an interesting question, though. If you- And to a certain extent, Mark, you might not have even thought of this, but it's about exit strategy. And uh, there's an old school company called Harris Publishing that kind of owns owns the alumni market. They pretty much print all the alumni directories at all the universities around here. And that seems to me to be the succession model from the Facebook. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about your exit strategy? And given the fact that Harris Publishing is pretty much an old line company, it's a printing company, and they're likely not a very good succession target, have you thought about, and Jim, you might be able to answer that question, how do you best monetize this as
1: an exit strategy? Um, I spend my time thinking about how to, how to build this and not how to exit. Well. Um, I think that what we're doing is more interesting than what anyone else is doing. <laughs> and that that this is just a cool thing to be doing. And I mean yeah, I, I don't spend time thinking about that much.
0: Sorry. And and I actually don't either. I, I think it's uh <laughs>
2: We're long-term oriented investors.
0: (laughs) I think what we are seeing, it's going to be a fascinating time in what the traditional media business might look like. Uh, I think we're all aware this is one of the few times where there has been strong resurgence in the overall advertising market, but many, if not most, of the traditional media companies have not seen a rebound in their advertising dollars, whether it's New York Times, Dow Jones, Washington Post, many of the newspaper companies. There is something fundamentally going on. It's not necessarily just a shift to online. That's a small part of it. But something has fundamentally shifted in terms of how these companies have rebounded. And there is no doubt, certainly, in the heart of Silicon Valley, our view is three to five years from now, there will be a new generation of media company that embodies some of the best of some of the great older line media companies, but will absolutely, at its heart, have many of the flavors of what a Facebook represents. That certainly is the investor view. (coughs) Tina. Thank
2: you. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the idea generation process in the company. I mean, there are companies like Google where people have these processes. Everyone gets 20% of their time to come up with new ideas. Do you have a formal process of idea generation? And then how do you vet them to determine which ideas actually come
1: A lot of the stuff that goes on at the company is really organic right now. and. Isn't necessarily formalized, although maybe it will be in a short period of time as we continue to grow. Um, I think that like as organizations grow, a lot of the issues and structure that's put in place is put there because a comfort level breaks down and people communicating freely that in a way that they can win their friends. You know, and and if you're working with your friend, you can Tell him or her like whatever you're thinking, and it's not going to offend him or her, and like, and they'll they'll probably comprehend it similarly to how you imagined it. I mean, language isn't really a perfect idea transmission vehicle, and um, and I think that a lot of the stuff like, like saying take twenty percent of your time to go put into action an idea that you might have is necessary in a large organization where. People can't necessarily speak the same language or ideas can get out freely. So, I mean, I think that one of the things that I do focus on at Facebook is making sure that the culture is very friendly, you know, and that people hang out. You know, so I mean, instead of having 20% of people's time spent working on their own projects, I make people hang out with each other. And I make people like, I mean, I don't make people be friends with each other, but I mean, you know, like they, you know. Um, what's up? <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that by doing that I mean I, I can't force people to hang out outside of work, but I mean I can make it so that people are more comfortable with each other and commu- can communicate more freely so um, this isn't really a formal thing that I put in place this is just like kind of my answer off the top of my head so I, I guess like by doing this we kind of create a culture where people just talk to each other about stuff and get what each other is thinking more clearly than they would if the organization was more bureaucratic or if like, people wouldn't be heard. And then, I mean, since people are always talking, ideas get bounced off each other. And then eventually, like
0: someone starts making something. You know, and then we're done. <laughs> we have time for a couple more questions. Back in the middle here. Thank you.
2: Uh, it must have been an interesting conversation when you told your parents, I'm not going to go back to Harvard, because I'm going to do this thing called the Facebook. Uh, can you comment on what your parents' take on this is? Yeah.
1: So after I almost got kicked out for the thing that I did before this, <laughs> <laughs> that also had to do with faces, um, their first reaction was, um, No. <laughs> no. Sh- <laughs> um, but that so then I made Facebook, and I was like, No, no this, this is different. I'm like, This is actually legit. I'm not going to get down for this. It'll be fun. Um, kind of got past that. I stayed in school and finished up my semester, and then went out to California, fully expecting to go back to school again in the fall. That didn't happen. But I mean, by the time that that didn't happen, we already had hundreds of thousands of people using the site, and um, Peter Thiel, who was the founder of PayPal, had, who was our first investor, had put some money in. And, and that sort of made my parents think, OK, this is something that could be cool. But I mean, I think that when I first started doing it, they were like, what possible value could this have for you? And I was like, no, it'll be cool. So then um, after I started doing well, they, they stopped trying to suggest them this to me.
2: <laughs>
0: right here in the front.
2: Um. Wondering what do you see as the biggest challenge for Facebook going forward? What's kind of keeping you uh,
0: up at night right now? Question, of course, is what keeps you awake at night. What's the biggest challenge? Endless so, number of challenges, but what the top three or four be? So I mean, the, the two things that you focus on
1: are maintaining what you have now—that's good—and growing, right? And, and what we have now is like a pretty good utility, and I am Going back to the first question that he asked me, what's the thing that I measure the most? And it's that 70% of the people come back to the site every day. And making sure that that remains, not just because we're doing some sort of gimmicky thing, By like, I mean, if you launch a feature, obviously retention is going to go up, right? So, I mean, retention has been up recently because of photos, you know. Um, but focusing on things that are sustainable, you know, and, and scalable. And, so that when we launch more schools or go into the next market or whatever we do, that we're going to set ourselves up to have the same (coughs) success that we've had without hurting ourselves in the current position. So, I mean, that's a very vague answer, so I kind of apologize. But, um, I mean, it's kind of, it's not one thing. You know, it's just basically maintaining the utility while
0: growing. And Mark is incredibly good at keeping the bar very high on new hires. When you're quadrupling in size, in terms of people, there is always a tendency, we see it again and again, and I know uh, Tom Byers and many of you in the audience always talk about quality of people uh, and maintaining the bar, but in practice, it's real easy to say, this person doesn't match up, and their butt does match up along so many dimensions, it would take six months to find the right person, and Mark has been extraordinary as a leader in maintaining a very high bar, and at times walking away from people who are receiving outstanding recommendations, but they either don't fit from a cultural standpoint or they don't, they're not going to scale and they'd be the wrong person a year or two from now. Uh, and that is, that is certainly, as an investor and board member, an ongoing challenge. How do you deal with that trade-off where you absolutely need an ad sales force but at the same time, uh, it's it one person at a time. You just can't say, let's go out and hire five good engineers or five good ad salespeople and not have them be great because the B plus or A minus people, you, you know it, they'll hire Bs and B minuses. And this is a time in the company where you just have to aspire with each hire to get an A or A plus person. And it's easier said than done. I think that is one of the fundamental ongoing challenges.